0: This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. Social studies education in Connecticut public schools has been getting a major revamp, and it's something we've covered on this program. There was a statute that required local indigenous history. Leaders from Connecticut's major tribes collaborated on a K-12 curriculum, which rolled out this year. There's also a statute in 2022 calling for Asian American and Pacific Islander studies that will roll out in the fall of 2025. The state state legislature combined many of these mandates in 2021, calling for a model curriculum. The statute included Native American studies and AAPI studies, and it also listed LGBTQ studies, climate change, financial literacy, military service and veterans, civics, media literacy, the principles of social emotional learning, and racism. As you can see, it's a long list and a tall order and prompted the Connecticut State Department of Education to gather a group of experts on all of these fronts and construct a new set of social studies standards. They were approved unanimously in October and lay the groundwork for some of those individual mandates rolling out. We'll have more information on our website. That's at ctpublic.org slash where we live. But here now to take us behind the scenes into this process and better understand the rollout ahead is Steve Armstrong. He's a social studies advisor for the Connecticut State Department of Education. He's also the past president of the National Council for the Social Studies. Thank you so much, Steve, for joining us today.
1: Thank you. Excuse me. Thank you, Catherine. Greatly appreciate it.
0: And here in studio with us is also Tony Roy, who's the president of the Connecticut Council for the Social Studies and also a social studies teacher from Bloomfield. Thanks so much for joining us, Tony.
2: So happy to be here. Thank you.
0: So, Steve, we're going to jump straight to you. And actually, a quick note for our listeners, that if you have any questions, please give us a call, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So, Steve, really back to you now. Anything that you'd add to that quick sparks notes version that I just gave about sort of the driving force for these standards and where they're headed?
1: Yeah, I think uh, a couple things I would I would note. I, I think the standards are are going to be well received by Connecticut teachers and administrators and others involved with the schools. They've got, by the way, some fan fan. And I, I don't want this to be like a rah rah session. But uh, they've got some, our reviewers, we're very happy with them. And really what we want to do with these standards is have kids, A, investigate history, not just learn history, but investigate history. You know, what are the issues that they, what are the important issues in American history and world history? And so let's study them from multiple perspectives. And the other thing I think it's important that we study, all people or as many people as we possibly can that live in our state. You know, there's, there's groups, as you mentioned, AARP, uh, you know, groups that haven't really been studied. Well, these standards give the opportunity for teachers to do that as well. And I think that's real important in where we are right now uh, in Connecticut and in America.
0: And we'll definitely dig deeper into sort of the investigation aspect from the students' perspective in a little bit. Um, But there's so much going on here, and then there's so much packed into this document, even beyond the list that we ran through earlier. Uh, For example, the State Sikh Coalition Celebrated Sikhism was included in these standards for the first time ever. So, Tony, can you give us a sense of, of this standard? This is a gigantic set of new standards.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the most important thing to remember is that this was an iterative process grounded in stakeholders. You know, uh, It was a teacher-led effort. I'm a classroom teacher. I've been teaching for 15 years. A majority of the writers that were on the teams were were, uh, teachers. We did plenty of surveys, um, both of teachers and the public. We did focus groups. And really, it was just a, a process of writing, reviewing, revising, and then going back and saying, did we get it quite right? And looking at it, I mean, I think we had 10 or 11 different drafts by the time we turned it into the State Department of Ed uh, back this summer. Um, so I think that's the most important piece is that teachers let it and it was iterative, meaning we went over it time and again to make sure we got it right.
0: I can't imagine the drafting that you've had to... We actually
2: broke Google Docs. That's what we were using. We um, did the maximum number of characters. They said we had to restart a whole new document. Um, So I don't know if that's ever happened before, but... That's actually uh,
0: breaking news to me. I didn't realize you can actually break Google Docs.
2: I didn't know that either. So, Steve,
0: (laughs) you're going to have to follow up with that that, uh, answer is ultimately these standards are optional for districts and for teachers as well. But what are your hopes for how they'll be used and received and also... You know, how often were their pre- previous standards getting used, would you say, by comparison?
1: Yeah, I, I think, as as you pointed out, Catherine, that Connecticut is a local, as people know, Connecticut is a local control state where districts can create the, the state. There are other states that aren't like this, but in Connecticut, you know, the state does not create a curriculum the state provides standards that allow local districts to create their own curriculum. But I've sensed an excitement by districts. I think a couple things, and I know a little later we're gonna talk a little more about elementary, but I think that, that a lot of people are looking to do something in elementary social studies, and they've been uncertain how to go, and I think these standards will reinforce social studies elementary education but i i think there's there's some folks you know there's a lot of new folks and a lot of new administrators and a lot of new teachers in connecticut and i think these standards a good thing with all that in mind is these standards will give these new teachers and these new administrators and all some sound guidance on where to go
0: and Tony, Steve mentioned earlier about wanting these students to have more sort of uh, investigative perspectives going into studying social studies. So can you describe what inquiry-based learning means and why that's such an important component here?
2: Sure. I mean, inquiry-based learning puts students in the driver's seat, meaning they're doing the hands-on learning, the minds-on learning. Uh, begins with questions. Uh, in some cases, teachers are providing compelling questions. In other cases, Uh, Once students are a little more practiced, they're developing their own questions. And then it's really about how is it that students can think like a historian, think like an economist, think like a geographer or a political scientist. And then once we figure out how they can think like those specific types of disciplines, and then it's working with sources. So how is it that we can look at the sources to draw conclusions, uh, to develop claims, and then finally communicate and in some cases take informed action. So those would be the four dimensions of inquiry. And those are embedded within uh, the social studies standards. So it's really, about, again, about putting kids in the driver's seat and making sure that um, they're the ones that are doing the learning as opposed to a cup being filled. They're actually uh, creating their own learning as they go.
0: And why is that important for them to do? Is it because they're more active? They're actually thinking about applications for those questions? Or, you know, can you take us
2: through that? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, it's important because, yes, they're more active and I mean, research shows that when students are engaged in the classroom, then they learn more, they learn better, um, but also it makes it into a transferable skills. So, like, we're going to take something that we're learning in the classroom, and now I can I can think like a historian, so I can apply chronological thinking, so to speak, um, in the outside world. Or I could look at different types of sources and, and I uncover bias. I mean, we all know that in today's day and age, we need to understand where bias is and where, where that's coming from so they can make informed decisions. I mean, it's really – uh, the cornerstone of our democracy is to understand, you know, what is, what are people trying to say? What are my my beliefs about that? And then how is it that I'm going to act upon what I've what I've learned? So I think that that's something that, again, we use this in the classroom, social studies classroom, constantly. Uh, but we're also using that in, the quote unquote, real world as well.
0: Well, and I think. Catherine, are... I think yeah. that
1: um, I'm sorry to interrupt oh, you no, there. Oh no, go for it. Uh, I think another thing is the old question is. Who's the hardest working person in the in the classroom? And it, it, it's always the teacher. But if you're using inquiry instruction, it's the students. Again, as Tony said, you're putting the learning in the hands of the students. They're working in groups. They're investigating problems. They're coming up with answers. They're defending their answers. Oh, it's very different from the from the learning that I had as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where the teacher told. The, the kids what to know. Here, the kids are discovering what to know.
0: And, can you- and
1: also, as Tony said, a real tough thing is with sources. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to work with 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 sources that are appropriate. And discovering, you know, what what are the biases of these sources? That's another key part in the inquiry instruction. That's a tough one too. Because, you know, what might be an accurate source for you might not be an accurate source for me. So uh, the the whole thing of sources and analyzing sources is another key part of this.
0: And is there anything you can add about the timeline ahead, especially or specifically where these standards fit in with other social studies statutes and mandates?
1: Sure. Um, Yeah, we've got these are out and we're starting to do in partnership with Connecticut Council for the Social Studies we're doing we're just in the initial stages of professional development um, on these uh, on these standards when I what I mean by professional development is we're going to be talking to individual schools you know working with teachers in individual schools but also in like you got crack or one of our rests you know one of the regional centers so we're going to actively promote these at the same time we're promoting and you mentioned it at the beginning also, the 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 um, legislation that went into effect this fall about that all districts have to teach about Native Americans. So that's another thing that's sort of being we're sort of dual promoting this year, and we know what we're going to have to do some of some professional development on many of those topics that you listed. You know, all fascinating topics to teach, but I'm guessing there's a ton of teachers that say don't know much. What do I say about veterans? You know, what do I say about uh, Native Americans? So besides the big standards, we're also going to have to do professional development on some of those individual topics as well.
0: And just a quick reminder that you can also join the conversation, 888-720-9677, or leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. We have a uh, Sharika from Bloomfield who is on the line right now. And I believe you have a question for Mr. Roy, go ahead.
3: Yeah, I have a question for Mr. Roy about how he implements his inquiry-based learning in his classroom on a daily basis.
0: Well, thank um, you so much for that question, Sharika. What do you have to say?
2: I think I might know Sharika, but anyway, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so inquiry-based cl- uh, learning in my classroom, um, I could I could tell you about what the seniors are working on in my cl- in my school uh, for capstone. So basically, at the beginning of the year, they chose they choose a topic that's of personal importance, and they uh, look at that topic and they develop actually questions. Uh, they use research to kind of come up with those questions, and then they pursue those by writing a literature review that was due on Sunday. Hopefully, everyone turned it in. Um, so they write a literature review, and then we roll from there into an annotated bibliography, which is more looking at sources, and then they develop a claim and write a paper. Uh, They take informed action, meaning they come up with some solutions and and do some action that actually, like, puts into place uh, some of the things they learned about so they can maybe figure out, well, does my solution actually work? How easy would it be? And then they put together a portfolio, and at the end of the year, they make a presentation called an exhibition where they kind of show off what they learned and how they grew through the year. Um, So I would say that's one small way to do it. Actually, it's not small at all. It takes the entire year. But you could do it in smaller ways. Uh, let's say you could do it within within a classroom. You could show like an, a, an image, let's say, that's related to history or something that's going on in current events and have students just list off what are all the questions you can think of that have to do with the source. And then from there, you can springboard that into more learning and, and looking at other perspectives and looking at other sources. And um, I would say that those some basic ways that you can implement that. Well,
0: Sharika, we yeah.
1: go a, a thing that I would mention on the t- – the- the real interesting thing of, of inquiry and the model we're using, the C3 model, uh, uh, College Career and Civic Life, is that the final step of that is, whenever possible, is, um, is taking informed action, is taking what you've learned and actively you know, using it in the classroom or using that knowledge in a school, on an, as Tony said, on an additional project or something, and it should be noted that this causes fear in, in some people um, that, you know, oh, the teachers are going to encourage students to do this or that. I would emphasize strongly for me anyway, it's the teacher's job to give the students the skills to take informed action. How they take informed action is not the teacher's job. It's the student's job. So it's not the teachers marching students to some rally. What it is is giving the students the skills to decide how, if they want to be, how they're going to be active citizens.
0: Well, there's nothing like having your own teacher tell you on air if you've done your homework, uh, Sharika. So really excited that you called in. Are you still there, Sharika? Yes, I am. We'd love to get your perspective on why this inquiry-based sort of education is important to you.
3: Um, It's important to me because, like Mr. Roy said, like it really puts me in the driver's seat. It it makes me feel I'm in control of my own learning. In a sense, Um, it makes me think. Like it challenges me, and it makes me have a new perspective on things. So that's how it affects me.
0: Well, thank you so much again, Sharika, for calling us on this morning and hearing your teacher on air. We appreciate you taking the time and doing that. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Steve Armstrong and Tony Roy, who will be staying with us. After a quick break, we'll hear from some of the educators and experts who helped shape these standards. You can join the conversation, 888-720-9677, or leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
2: Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Hartford HealthCare recently celebrated the opening of the Ridge Recovery Center in Wyndham. Christy Scott, Vice President of Clinical Operations, describes this new state-of-the-art destination for healing.
0: Individuals will come if they're suffering from substance use disorder and get individualized treatment. They can stay up to three to four weeks and receive family therapy, individual therapy, group therapy, and lots of other holistic care like yoga, trail walking, acupuncture. So it's going to be a great place for people to come and heal.
2: For those seeking recovery, finding it close to home can sometimes be challenging.
0: Many individuals travel to Florida and other states that have more treatment centers, so we're hoping by doubling our capacity at Hartford HealthCare, the individuals can stay in their home state with their family and support systems close by.
2: To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash health
0: This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Katherine Shen. This hour, we're going behind the scenes with the experts and educators who help develop a new set of social studies standards in public schools around where we live. Here's longtime social studies teacher Jim Clifford re- reacting to the standards during an early preview session.
3: I recently completed
0: two workshops up in one in New York and one in Vermont, and I was talking with educators up there about how Connecticut is has is revising its social studies standards. And really bringing it into the 21st century um, in
3: in so many areas.
0: And joining us now to discuss their contributions on these standards is Dr. Brittany Yancey. She's an assistant professor of history and African-American studies at Illinois College. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Yancey.
3: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
0: And here with us in the studio is Dr. Michael Bartone, who is an assistant professor in the Department of Literacy, Elementary and Early Childhood Education at Central Connecticut State University. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining us today.
4: Thanks for having me.
0: And still with us are Steve Armstrong from the Connecticut State Department of Education and Tony Roy, who's the president of the Connecticut Council for Social Studies. So I want to jump straight to uh, uh, Michael. We heard about the legislative sort of impetus for these standards, but can you talk about the needs that they're meeting for teachers in your view, especially with what we just heard from from the teacher speaking about how Connecticut's really rolling into the 21st century on this?
4: Yeah, so I was a former elementary school teacher myself. So I taught from 2000 to 2011 and then went back and now I work with pre-service teachers. And so I think what's important about the standards Having loved teaching social studies as an elementary school teacher and doing inquiry-based learning, I mean, we can get into that in the next segment. Um, but one of the things that's great about the standards is the pre-service teachers, those in our teacher prep programs, who you know may not have as many courses in the social sciences as you know we may we may like. It allows them to enter the standards. The standards allow them to enter and to find their footing and delve deep into certain topics. So, I think one of the things that's important is you often hear from teachers, There's so much to cover. How do I cover it all? I don't understand. My focus is queerness and race in schools. I don't understand those things, right? I want to, but I don't have time. And I think that through our process in teacher prep and as they get into the schools and the district works with the teachers, it allows teachers to kind of dig into certain topics that are, it's not like they have a thousand things to cover in one year. And that, that I think is the one of the great things about the new set of standards.
0: Well, I can imagine that be a huge change for a lot of teachers. And, and Dr. Yancey, you, you were central to the process of crafting the six key themes at the heart of these standards. And before we get into those themes, I want to ask you the same question, too. You know, what needs do these standards meet for teachers in this moment, do you think?
3: Well, I think Michael touched on it. I think what we have been seeing, just if you take the last decade, right, we understand the need for teachers to be equipped to go into the classroom. And I think the standards lay it out very clearly, right, an approach that equips them to be able to take on these issues, not being able to kind of check a box about going through every single date, every single event in history, but allow them to approach this thematically with the resources and the tools to make it engaging for the classroom. Um, And then allow allow them to equip their students with the tools to take this beyond the classroom. And that's one of the things that's very key for me in terms of ensuring that we are developing global citizens here, right? And allowing this curriculum to be able to equip our students with those tools to take into our communities, take into... Are You know, across the state, right across our world and have this kind of global perspective where they have the language to make change, they are informed about the past and present being able to make those connections and links so um, I believe that it is robust in that in that respect.
0: And we mentioned earlier that at the heart of these standards, there are six key themes and they're justice, representation, inclusivity, agency, global content, and local connections. Uh, Dr. Yancey, is there one or two of these themes that you see as most central or
3: just a little extra important to you? Well, you know, all six of them speak my language. So, but if I had to identify one, representation to me is, is critical here. Um we understand the times that we are currently living in. And for a student to see themselves and to hear themselves in the classroom, right, is absolutely key. And so when we're looking at uh, this particular standards, I believe, um, you know, we had a lot of conversations about what, what are we trying to achieve here? And I think being able to have uh, the representation as it's laid out, right, to reflect that social diversity, to really being able to play into and center um, cultural and historical empathy, right? Um, Thinking about, you know, Steve talked about um, in our approach to inquiry-based learning, asking those questions, right? Um, Having a critical approach to a topic, um, these are things that I think are cr- incredibly important when we talk about how we are preparing um, our next generation right to go into the world to um, to to be these global citizens right how are they going to be able to do that without an inclusive, lens. and this is what we believe these six themes prep them to do. Um, being able to see the world critically with all its complexities. <laughs> um, I, we believe that you know, tackling these themes and taking them on um, help them achieve that.
0: Well, and you mentioning you know global citizenship also with these six themes, it looks like everything is very much interconnected. So, can you talk about this idea of intersectionality that relates to these six themes? And can you also help define what exactly is intersectionality?
3: Yes. Well, again, I know um, intersectionality is 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 kind of under attack at this moment in our country. Um, This kind of movement um, that is stretching across our country that is um, um, taking on these topics and really distorting them. Intersectionality is a theoretical approach to be able to do exactly what I just said, to widen the lens, right, to allow someone that falls at the intersection, right, to be included in the narrative. It's a way to see um, how particularly oppression intersects, right, in our lives. And being able to take that into our curriculum, right, is is key. Um, And I'll give you the perfect example. Um, And I'm only doing this currently because I'm teaching a class right now called Rethinking American Enslavement. And, you know, slavery is, is a very difficult topic for teachers to, um, to, to take on. And a lot of times it comes down to resources, the way in which curriculum is not inclusive. Um, we have a very specific way in which we teach slavery and in, in this country that is problematic. It is, um, you know, reductive in a sense that it doesn't get at the complexity. We teach enslavement but not even really thinking about freedom seeking. And so um, these kind of two themes are at the core of my course. And I'm looking at how, for example, with the intersectional approach, that you can look at um, the experiences of men and women um, very differently, right? Um, Frederick Douglass um, is very different from the experiences of Harriet Tubman or Harriet Jacobs, right, Um, dealing with the complexity, for example, of sexual violence against enslaved um, African women, right? That narrative is very different and being able to have the tools and resources to take those topics into the classroom. We believe these um, these six things allows for that curriculum to be developed. Right. Um, Looking at, for example, Harriet Tubman, someone who a lot of people don't know, um, served during the Civil War. Um, We don't know that she led a raid, right? She's the first American woman to actually lead a military operation, right? Why don't we know this, right? Right. We we need to know this. So representation, I believe, is one of those, the core of the six, right, that allows us to be, be creative, be innovative, introduce these topics and themes in our classrooms, really get students engaged in understanding the complexities and the breadth of uh social studies.
0: Well and Steve, I want to bring you here real quick, especially with what Dr. Yancey mentioned, you know, the complexity of, of these themes and also the amazing examples that she just raised for students to learn. You know, how is intersectionality a good example of the sort of the kind of buzzwords that you oversaw really thoughtful discussions around when you were building this standard and, and how and whether to include it?
1: Yeah, I think if if you're going, if, if, like, as you saw, as the list that you read, I mean, all incredibly important themes and topics, whether it's a group, um, Native Americans, or whether it's a, a topic, racism, I, I, I think the worst thing we could have done with the standards is all is put those in all as individual little threads. You know, now let's study. Racism. Now let's study, um, you know, Asian Americans. Now let's study LGBTQ. I think the beauty of the intersectionality is there's a story here to tell where all of these groups and all of these themes come together. That they're not, that the story of America is all of those topics on that list, all of those groups on that list. If we can bring them together and create a story out of that, that will be, A, more more meaningful for teachers, but most importantly, more meaningful for students. I
0: think. And, and, Tony, we were just, you know, talking about these standards also help unsilo many of these histories that uh, Steve just mentioned. You know, local history is also one of the themes. Can you talk about how that deepens the ways students interact with social studies?
2: Sure. Um, I do want to go back to the intersectionality thing sure, just for a second. For it, yeah. um, we had a lot of discussions about this, uh, especially with um, – the current political climate when it comes to education. And um, this was something that was actually we were debating whether or not we were going to even touch on intersectionality at all. And one of the discussions that we came to was having to do with disability and that a person, sure, has a disability, but they also are a man or they're also a woman or they're also a person that is of a particular race. Um, So there's just intersectionality is about where our Personality and identity kind of intersects more so than it is making sure that we're picking out individual um, traits to study, right? So it's about the confluence of all of our experience together. Um, Now, speaking of confluence, I think that when we're thinking about local history and we're thinking about making those local connections, um, the local history is the national history. I've always taught uh, Connecticut history through. Actually, national history through the lens of Connecticut, because I feel like that Connecticut is a microcosm of what's happening at the national level. Um, So, if you're thinking about, let's say, the Civil War, well, there was just as many I don't know about just as many, but there were many people that were against the Civil War. They wanted peace, peace Democrats. Um, And then there was also many radical Republicans, right? So there's two different sides of that. And when you're thinking about perspective, well, what are all the different aspects of someone's identity, their political philosophy, their economic philosophy that comes together to shape the way they feel about such an important event? So yeah, local history is something that um, we can use to make those local connections so that we can show the global and the national context.
0: And Michael, with everything that we just talked about, so many lenses, so many perspectives, and so much complexity to to this. We know factoring in social studies uh, content for elementary age students is also a huge part of this overhaul. We've had discussions about when do you start? You know, the, the earlier you do it, the mm-hmm. better. So what are your priorities in thinking about sort of the very unique needs that these teachers have in order to, to start that?
4: So I just want to also say about the intersectionality and going yes. off of what um, uh, Dr. Yancey said, "I, in the spirit of inquiry, I'd have everybody look at uh, the Kambahi River Collective, and um, that's bringing in race, gender, and sexuality in the '70s. So I'm just going to throw that out there. So everybody doing their social studies. That's my work. favorite
3: topic, Michael. <laughs> you know, you're going to derail us into another space. Yeah. <laughs> I love the connection and the history behind the Kambahe River Collective. Absolutely.
4: So thank you. So I will say this about my perspective and my philosophical stance has always been that anything we do doesn't have to be engaging, it has to be relevant and purposeful to the students. So, all of the students in our public schools and in any school, they're always asking questions. And so, my goal, what I like students to, and teachers to take away from this is again, let the students guide the instruction. They want to have these critical conversations and research. They wanna understand what's going on in their world. And what I hope they get at is how do you become a person who doesn't take something at face value and understands and researches the complexities of a world, and then, as the greatest Mariah Carey says, they are able to spread their wings, prepare to fly, because they become a butterfly. And so then they go, because again, there is no—I don't believe in the like the real world versus our classroom, because that second grade experience is the real world for them. And so if they're seeing and hearing things that are being shared virtually, you know, on the playground, wherever it may be, that. They understand what it actually means. Now, again, a teacher has to broach it how they broach it, right? Like, that's the beauty of the standards is they know their students. Instead of somebody coming in with a scripted curriculum saying, do it this way, specifically this, that's so disconnected from the students' lives and experiences. And to do it in a way, I I, I want to caution also, sometimes it gets, we get into this relativistic um or, or, or it's so individualistic, right, for each of the 25 students in my classroom, where it's really about understanding society writ large, right? And so a lot of their experiences are going to be folded into the classroom. And how do you fold them in rather than excluding and always focusing on one or two or three um, identities mm. or, or students, your families in your classroom.
0: Well, this conversation is only going to go downhill from here now that Mariah carries into the fold. But Tony, <laughs> I want to ask you, too, you know, uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier on in terms of what the standards can provide for teachers. But can you also talk about how it will help free teachers up uh, to cover more topics or to cover these topics more in depth?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's clear from this conversation that um A tremendous amount of professional learning is needed to be able to um, wade into some of these topics. Um, With that in mind, right now we're overseeing a over $900,000 investment in social studies education. Some of the partners include the Connecticut State Department of Education, Connecticut Humanities, Connecticut Democracy Center, and the Connecticut Museum of Culture and History. Uh, We provided over 300 hours of professional development, serving more than 3,000 teachers, um, actually, we have a podcast, Social Studies Connection Podcast. You can check that out on our website, ConnecticutSocialStudies.org. Sorry, that's a plug right there. Plug away. You, you, but if you want to hear more from Michael, he's on there. If you want to hear more from Dr. Yancey, she's on there. Me, if you want to hear me and Steve, we're on there. But anyway, um, we've done a lot of curriculum writing, conferences, workshops. And what I've noticed is that when we're going around the state, there's really an acute need for social studies education. Almost every metric of democracy shows that it's struggling. So when we're looking at how is it that society is functioning, we can see that there's a breakdown. Social studies learning is unique. And um, what we're noticing is that some, in some cases, students are having access to maybe five minutes of social studies education a day when you break it out by average. Um, and it's really hard to be able to prepare students at my level, at the high school level, to be able to critique international monetary policy if they're not learning what a bank is in elementary school. But so often, so often, um, social studies is seen seen as like extra, you know, and teachers, especially at the elementary level, don't have enough room on their plate. There's just not enough room. How are we going to fit it in? I propose that social studies is the plate, right? It's an interdisciplinary connections that we can make in order to make sure that teachers don't feel overwhelmed. But it can be, um, again, the lens through which we access math, that we access English, that we access science. And I think doing all those things together – um, we can make it so that it's it's manageable.
4: It's not just another thing that we have to do. Yeah, I would just uh, add to this that the first reading I give my social studies method students is the disappearance of social studies in that everything is you read a book. So teachers tend to use it as literacy. Like, I've read a book about this topic, right. and there's our topic. Right. They're looking at the character arc of, of
2: the narrative, but they're not looking at exactly how – um, folks that were working with Martin Luther King, let's say, use the uh, levers of government to affect change, right? That's just a different level of thinking. Well, we know. How and I would want to <laughs> say
1: that um, I, I, I would say that where the standards is a step out of all the, all the, you know, nobody's teaching social studies at the elementary is people. There's, as I said before, there's there's administrators and teachers at the elementary level. We'd like to do social studies but we don't know how and I'm I'm not making that up that I've heard that from a number of people well you know what the standards and the model curriculum are going to give the how so that is that's why I'm very optimistic about the future because I think we're providing the teachers if they need a roadmap if the administrators need a roadmap hopefully we're giving them a good one
3: and I think that's really key I think you know, across the country, we are losing, we are losing teachers. We, uh, you know, our education looks very different. And I think we're doing something very special here in Connecticut, being able to not just say, okay, we have these standards now, but we also have the pathway. We have the tools. We're going to provide the investment for teachers to get that training right, to make sure that our teachers are equipped to go into the classroom. And I, and I think, what was special about, you know, and being being a part of this project is really seeing the commitment from the educators, um, the commitment from the partners as Tony um, shared. These are institutions that are invested in ensuring that they are part of the process in terms of equipping the teachers to go into the classroom. And you just don't see that um, across the country in this moment.
0: You've been listening to Dr. Brittany Yancey, Dr. Michael Bartone, Steve Armstrong, and Tony Roy, who will all be staying with us. And we're going to pick this up right after a quick break. You can join the conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
3: Slavery in the U.S., we don't usually think of Connecticut, but slavery happened here. The probate inventory mentions three cows, two barns, one enslaved Negro woman, and one Indian boy. Coming March 18th, a special series, Unforgotten, Connecticut's Hidden History of Slavery. Visit ctpublic.org unforgotten. Funding provided by the Wadsworth Athenaeum Museum of Art and the Amistad Center for Art and Culture. Connecticut's own Jacques Pepin is a culinary icon. When you make a contribution to Connecticut Public today, you can experience a once-in-a-lifetime dinner with the acclaimed PBS chef and author on Monday, May 6th at the gorgeous Oceanfront Madison Beach Hotel in Madison, Connecticut, sponsored by Isana Plastic Surgery Center and MedSpa and Fuchs Financial. For tickets, visit ctpublic.org
0: Pepin. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. Back with us to continue this conversation around social studies education in Connecticut is Steve Armstrong with the State Department of Education, Tony Roy with the Connecticut Council for the Social Studies, Dr. Brittany Yancey at Illinois College, and Dr. Michael Bartone at CCSU. I want to jump straight to Michael here. You know, you were... You played a really important role not only in the early education side of things but also LGBTQ history when it comes to the standards can you touch on some of your priorities and also your involvement there
4: yeah so i when i found out the state had uh, allocated money to this i contacted steve immediately i was like i'm not going to be one of those professors up there that's like critiquing everything and not wanting to be involved and so steve was great and brought me on and one of the things you know having grown up in connecticut um it, there wasn't much lgbtq-ness in instruction and so really what it, really what i want people to understand is that what the lgbtq to uh, s2 plus community is right that it's a very diverse group of peoples there's not one story that represents all of us and so As teachers approach this topic, we understand it is one of the topics that, you know, raises a lot of questions or people may be afraid to broach. But I look at it as what have, what is, you know, our heterosexist society? How do we understand it? How do we understand the contributions that Tony was talking about, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and that Bayard Rustin was his trusted confidant who organized the March on Washington, openly gay man, right? So things like that. And especially I would like teachers to understand what it is like for... The attacks on LGBTQ plus uh, teachers throughout our nation's history, but also understanding the resilience and resistance that we've um, we've 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 done to get us here throughout all of our history, and starting way back in colonial times. You know, I teach an LGBTQ uh, class uh, topics um, in at Central, and we start with colonial America and understanding what sexuality meant then. Um, And I would just also say that I have a oral history project with uh, I'm gathering the oral histories of LGBTQ uh, uh, 2 plus S educators. And so if you're retired or close to retirement or you're still teaching and would like to participate let me know because that's something that the students in K-12 can access to understand what it's like for the educators in the field, who were in the field, what it was like teaching in the 60s, 70s, 80s. So, yeah.
0: So, Steve, I want to ask you real quick, you know, we've been talking a lot about certain themes or subjects that have been sort of under fire during this time that you are putting the standards together, and it sounds like there were so many thoughtful discussions you had as a group as to how to make sure these standards really do help social studies teachers. So, I want to ask, you know, what are your thoughts about the moment these standards are meeting?
1: Well, these standards, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, let me first off, Catherine, speak through the lens of, of civic education, is that there's a lot of talk, not just in Connecticut, but among civics educators nationally, that we're really at in, in, in a crisis point in terms of civic education, that that, that, that civic education has is, is got to sort of step up. The big debate nationally has been should we be teaching kids about government or should we be teaching kids to be active citizens? I know most people would be somewhere in the middle. But, you know, I think teaching activism and, and not even in those terms, but teaching students to be active citizens isn't something that we should be afraid of. It seems somehow in and, and, and I uh, obviously I'm referring not to Connecticut, but some states seem afraid of that. And boy, I I think the, the the future of America is based on active citizenship. And the other thing we've talked about it a few times today, but you know, the, in some states, you know, having multiple perspectives and you know, investigating topics somehow seems like a, a, a negative thing. Well, boy, if if we don't investigate topics and look at multiple perspectives when issues are the past, how will we conceivably? Be able to look at them as we face issues in the in the present and in the future. So these this weird time when sort of social studies is is under attack. I, I think were this these standards promote good teaching. These standards promote multiple perspectives, and these standards promote active citizenship. And, and, and I say in this time, as you phrased it, boy, if there's any time we need it, it's right now.
0: And, Michael, I would love to get your thoughts on that. You know, you just talked about being in the subjects being in the crossfire, and you've also studied how teachers are often in that crossfire. So can you talk about the important role that teachers play in this, in this situation?
4: Uh, they play a, an extremely important role. And I have to say that because of where we live, that um, I'm very pleased that the state is taking the initiative, and we've been supported. I mean, Tony listed all the groups working with us. That have really not backed down and shied away from all of this, and so uh, the teachers who are in the field, many if not all, want what's best for their students and for society, right? And so I think that as we think about what they're navigating, how do we support them to understand, and how do we give them latitude to literally go deep with things, and 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 you know, sort of let the standards and let the student inquiry go where it goes and the teachers learning at the same time. And I think that that's really an important, important thing piece here too.
0: And Dr. Yancey, you're an expert in social movements, including, you know, urban uh, urban radicalism, critical race theory, among other topics. You know, what were some of your considerations when it concerns sort of the political backdrop, especially based on what Steve and Michael just said?
3: Well, I think, I think both of them just hit it on the nail here. I, I personally, um, particularly with with this project, one of the things that I really continue to say, right, is particularly with the six themes, we, we are developing um, citizens here, right? And so this is about the formula that allows the educator... Um, to be equipped with the tools to take into the classroom, to have engaging conversations and discussions with their students in hopes that this also, you know, broadens the minds of our students, but also inspires them to take this beyond the classroom, right? And to be ready to take on democracy, to take on citizenship, to take on equality thoughtfully and critically. And I I think, Steve, I 100% agree with you that if there is ever a time for history to kind of show up in this moment, it is now for us to understand the world we live in, but then also for us to ensure that our generations that are coming forward are equipped, right, to make change, to be informed um, and know that they have a voice, right? And how to use it effectively to make change is something that I'm looking at in my curriculum um, even at the college level, um, when we think about, for example, the state of African-American studies that is is, is currently under attack across this country, um, how critical it is for that field, right uh, to be championed in this moment and how much effective Steve and Tony were talking about, in particular, the role of social responsibility and equipping students to take what they're learning and bridge the gap between the classroom and community, recognizing that what they are thinking about, those original innovative ideas that are coming to mind as they're reading different sources and having that inquiry-based learning um, is important and needed for communities to thrive. Take that into the community. Address some of those issues that you're kind of talking about in the classroom. They are waiting for the leaders to kind of step up um, and and come with solutions to some of the problems that affect us um, um, within our communities. And I and I just think that here in Connecticut, um, it's it's going to happen. It's already happening. Ways in which our communities are changing because of. Um, the committed educators that are committed to um, this style of teaching. Um, And And so I know this is going to benefit our state.
0: Absolutely. And Tony, we got about one minute left, but I want to ask your thoughts as a classroom teacher, even as a former Connecticut student, your thoughts on this.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's important that we realize, I mean, we've been talking a lot about, um specific topics today but the standards aren't really about teaching students what to think it's about teaching them how to think so it's providing the frameworks and the and the and the thought processes needed to be able to make good decisions and the the teacher's perspective shouldn't really be playing very much of a role in that process because Young people are still coming to know, and as they're coming to know, we need to support them to make their own decisions and to understand the world um, through their own lens, but also be you know, respectful of other people and other perspectives and, and people's histories, if you will.
0: You've been listening to Tony Roy with the Connecticut Council for Social Studies, Steve Armstrong with the State Department of Education, Dr. Brittany Yancey at Illinois College, and Dr. Michael Bartone at Central Connecticut State University. I want to take a moment to thank all of you for being with us today.
4: Thank you. Thank you. That's
0: thank so. you. I'm Catherine Shen. Today's show is produced by Katie Pellico. Our technical producer is Cap Pastor. Download Where We Live anytime on your favorite podcast app. And thank you so much for listening.